0: 21 Matthew chapter 21 I'll be reading verses 8 and 9 a message I've entitled What They Meant What They Meant Matthew 21 please stand out of honor to God and his word as I read And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way and the multitudes that went before and that followed crying saying Hosanna to the son of David Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the reason I call this what they meant is we're going to look at the people. We're going to look at the prophet. We're going to look at uh, the palms and find out what they meant. But in preparation for that, and by the way, I got permission from my wife to share these expressions with you. And this is especially important for any of you guys that are not married yet. Because I want to tell you A couple things. Number one, what she says, but more importantly, what she means. Okay? So what she says and what she means. So when she says, I'll be ready in five minutes, what she means is, it'll be at least an hour. When she says, I have nothing to wear, what she means is, I have so many outfits, I need to buy a new outfit so I don't have to dig through my closet. When she says, nothing's wrong... What she means is, everything's wrong and it's your fault. When she says, we need to talk, what she means is, you need to listen to me and admit you're guilty. When she says, I'm not mad, what she means is, I'm furious, but I'm not going to tell you why. You have to figure it out yourself. When she says, it's not you, it's me. What she means is, it's definitely you. And when she says, excuse me, what she means is, I heard you just fine. I'm giving you an opportunity to change what you just said. So that's a lady, you know, what she says and what she means. But I want us to look at Palm Sunday today and find out what they meant back then, starting with the prophet. The prophet. Matthew quotes Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 as being fulfilled by Jesus on that first Palm Sunday. Again, he says in verses 4 and 5 that it might be fulfilled which the prophet wrote and so on. He's talking about Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Now, this passage was written by the prophet Zechariah as inspired by the Holy Spirit to encourage the people living around 500 B.C., 500 years before Jesus actually showed up physically on the scene, Zechariah had written this prophecy to encourage the people. They needed encouragement. They needed encouragement because both the northern and southern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed. And they also needed encouragement so that they would know there was a future hope for them. And I want us to look at that prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And I want you, as I read it, I want you to consider how uplifting it is. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt the foal of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the to the nations and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. This is a really encouraging prophecy to these people who were extremely discouraged. It starts out by saying rejoice. I mean look how positive that is, rejoice, shout. And then the second part you will have a king They didn't really have a king. Then they'd just been conquered, right? But you will have a king. Very encouraging. And notice, Zechariah says he'll be a wonderful king. The first thing, notice the third line there. The first thing, he will be a just king. He will be righteous, not wicked. So many of the kings that Israel and Judah had had were, were wicked. And yet this is a different kind of king. He's going to be just. He's going to be righteous. Not only that, he'll be a deliverer. He'll be a savior. Notice it says he is just And having salvation. He'll be a savior. Not only that, he'll be humble. Notice it says he's lowly. Humble, not pompous. So many kings then and so many kings today are pompous. They're all filled with themselves. They think that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But he won't be that way. He'll be humble. And notice fourthly, he'll be peaceful, not violent. How do I know that? Well, first of all, he comes riding on a donkey. Now a donkey was an animal of peace as opposed to a horse which was an animal of war but notice what else it says towards the end of this prophecy it says that he will speak peace to the nations it says heathen in the king james but he will speak peace to the nations and notice how encouraging this last line is his reign will be universal from sea to sea to the ends of the earth not merely a local king like the king of israel or the king of Of Judah. But this king that's coming. This king is going to have a universal reign. From sea to sea. To the ends of the earth. Obviously this was a fulfillment. Of the prophecy. Palm Sunday. Jesus fulfilled that promise. That prophecy. Indeed Jesus fulfilled this and every other prophecy. About him. He is righteous. He is humble. He is peaceful. And he is the only saviour. And he is now reigning in the hearts of man. And he will reign universally on this earth one day. Amen. Amen. So, what did the prophet mean? In 500 B.C. when he wrote Zechariah 9.9? Well, Matthew tells us. He said this was fulfilled by Jesus on that first Palm Sunday. So we know what the prophet meant. But secondly, let's look at the people. What did they mean? Well, they were shouting Hosanna. Now that word means save now, Please save. And so they were shouting to Jesus, Save us now. Now, quite frankly, they were looking for salvation from Rome. Rome was the one that was running the whole show at the time. And these people wanted salvation. They wanted deliverance from Rome. They weren't so concerned about being delivered from their sin. Earthly deliverance was what they wanted. But Jesus knew that's not what they needed. They needed to be forgiven of their sins. It didn't matter who was in charge, Rome or Israel or somebody else. They needed deliverance from their sins. So as always, God provides for our needs, not necessarily our greeds. What did these people need more than anything else? They needed to be forgiven of their sins. And that's why Jesus came riding in that day. We must remember that Jesus' kingdom was not political. It was spiritual. Indeed, His kingdom is not of this world. Look what He says. He said that in John 18 and verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. Indeed, Jesus' kingdom is not only not of this world, it is in the hearts of His people. Luke 17, 21, He says, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's inside. Amen. Well, these people wanted an immediate deliverance. Again, they were saying, Save now. Please save us. Save us now. Save us from Rome. They wanted immediate deliverance. Well, Jesus offered them the deliverance they really needed right then, just as He offers it now. What deliverance does Jesus offer now? Not deliverance from China or Russia or Rome or anybody else. He offers deliverance from our sins. And if you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will receive His salvation immediately, right now. And you say, well, how do I receive Jesus as my Savior? You believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that Jesus was buried for your sins. And the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. When you truly believe in Jesus like that and you receive Him as your Savior, He takes your sins away immediately. Immediately. But notice in verse 9, these people said something else. They said, Hosanna, but then they said, Hosanna in the highest. What does that mean? Well, if you're using a different version of the Scriptures, yours might say, Hosanna in the highest heaven. And that is because that's what they were saying. As they were shouting Hosanna to Jesus, they were appealing to heaven for their salvation and they were acknowledging Jesus is heaven's Savior. When he came riding in there, they said, heaven, please help us. And then they saw Jesus and said, here's our help right here. Here's our Savior. And so now we we know what they meant when they said Hosanna and Hosanna in the highest. But they weren't done also in verse 9. They call him the son of David. What does that mean? Well, this was another title for Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew form. Christ is the Greek form. It all means the same. Messiah, son of David. Now, Jesus elsewhere claimed to be the Messiah, like in chapter 26 and verse 24 of Matthew. Also, elsewhere in John chapter 4 and verse 26, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. But Jesus also allowed others to claim him as the Messiah, like Peter in Matthew 16, 16, where he says, You're the Christ the Son of the living God, or Martha in John eleven twenty seven, or this Palm Sunday crowd. He allowed them to acknowledge Him as the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus still allows us to do the same thing today. To claim Him and to proclaim Him as the Messiah, the Christ. First of all, it's our responsibility. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Right. It is our responsibility to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ to this world. Amen. But more than a responsibility, my friends, it's our privilege. It is our privilege. What an honor we have. Think about it. You and I are spokespeople for the Messiah. Not for somebody that's a head of a corporation or something. The Messiah, Jesus Christ. You and I are spokespeople for Him. And we are to proclaim that He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Now the Bible never calls us spokespersons for the Messiah. But the Apostle Paul does say this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative. An ambassador goes out acting on behalf of the person who sent them. He not only speaks for them, He lives for them, He serves for them. And so Jesus called Himself Messiah, but He let other people call Him Messiah. And He has commanded us to let the world know He is the Messiah. He is the Son of David. We are His spokespeople. But those folks weren't done that day. They called Him Hosanna. They called Him Son of David. Look also in verse 9. They called Him blessed. Blessed is he. Now this word blessed literally means to be happy or to be congratulated. And so as Jesus is coming into that town, on, uh, coming into Jerusalem on the donkey, they're saying, we should congratulate this guy. He's amazing. Why? Because Jesus was doing the will of his father by entering Jerusalem in triumph, fulfilling prophecy. But also he was doing the will of his father by entering Jerusalem in obedience to become the once for all sacrifice for sin. So they called him blessed. Now Jesus taught us in the Beatitudes who is truly blessed. This is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. I'm not going to read that for you, but you're probably familiar with the Beatitudes. But you know, you've heard them: blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit and all of that. He was teaching us there who is truly Blessed. And to just encapsulate it for you, He says the humble are blessed, the sorrowful are blessed, the meek are blessed, the righteous are blessed, the merciful are blessed, the pure are blessed, the peaceful are blessed, and the persecuted are blessed. Jesus demonstrated a life of beatitudes. He lived humbly. He lived sorrowfully. He lived meekly. He lived righteously. He lived mercifully. He lived purely. He lived peacefully. And He lived a life of persecution. And so he demonstrated a life of beatitudes. And his disciples, not only back then, but still today, we will live a life of beatitudes as well. We are to live lives that are humble, sorrowful, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, and even persecuted, should the Lord will it. My friends, to be blessed, you've got to live blessed. Amen. And as Jesus rode into town, they said, He's blessed. He's blessed. But they weren't done yet. Also in verse 9, they not only say He's Hosanna, Son of David, He's blessed, but they said He's coming in the name of the Lord. He's coming in the name of the Lord. Now that word name refers to authority or power. He's coming in the power of the Lord. He's coming in the authority of the Lord, they were saying. The people then accepted that Jesus was acting on behalf of God. Indeed He was. He was sent to deliver them even as He was sent to deliver us. He was sent to rule over them even as He's sent to rule over us. Jesus not only acted on behalf of God, Jesus is God. He is God. He's not God the Father, He's God the Son. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. These people, as they were shouting all this stuff, Hosanna and blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, do you realize they were actually shouting Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26? And I'm going to show that to you in a second, but here's what's interesting. Psalm 118 is a hymn of praise to God that they were directing at Jesus Christ. Here it is. Look at Psalm 118, beginning of verse 25. Save now. That's Hosanna. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Notice a lot of similarities with what they were saying. They were quoting this. This is a hymn of praise to God that they were directing at Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So now we know what they meant when they said Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, son of David, blessed, he's coming in the name of the Lord. But as I mentioned in the children's message, there was one other thing they were saying, but only John includes this. They were calling him king of Israel. They were calling him king of Israel. And here it is in John chapter 12 and verse 13. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Now, do you know what a king is? A king is an absolute ruler. Now, here in America, we don't appreciate the power of kings. Our founding fathers gave us a president, which is very powerful, but nothing like a king. And that's why we don't appreciate the power of kings here in the United States. And so as Americans, this is a good thing. But as Christians, I believe we're done a disservice because we we say those words, Jesus is king and so on. We don't really know what it means as Americans. Know this, that kings are sovereign. Their power is unchecked. Their word is law. My friends, Jesus was, is, and always will be king. And He's not just King. He is King of kings. He is sovereign. He doesn't await orders from us. We take orders from Him. He has given us His Word. We must obey His Word. And so today I want to encourage you, I want to implore you to acknowledge Jesus as the King He truly is. He is King of the universe. He is King of Israel. As they were saying that first Palm Sunday, And I hope you can acknowledge him as king of your life. Notice I didn't say president of your life. I didn't say CEO of your life. King. Kings are sovereign. King's power is unchecked. A king's word is law. That's very different from a president. That's very different from a CEO. Is Jesus king of your life? Because he is king. He's the king of kings. And so now we know what they meant. We know what the prophet meant. We know what the people meant. But there's still something else we need to address from verse 8. What did the palms mean? When these people had their palms, and probably all of you have palms here today, and what does that even mean? Well, the people symbolized their devotion to Jesus with palms. And as they pulled those palms out, and whether they waved them or they laid them before Him, number one, that was an acknowledgment of royalty. Back in that day when you had those palms and you waved and replaced them, you were saying, this person is royal. This person is king. And of course, they were calling him king too. You say, well, that's weird. Why would they put palms in front of people saying that they're royalty? Well, we still do that today. You ever been to a wedding and the flower girl comes and puts the petals in the aisle? They don't put the petals down for everybody, only for the bride. Because on that wedding day, the bride is queen for the day. And as queen, her feet should not have to touch common ground like everybody else. And so she walks on flower petals. Well, they did the same thing with the palms in that day. He's king. He and his donkey shouldn't have to touch common ground. We're putting our clothes and we're putting our palms before him. Not only was it an acknowledgement of royalty, it was an acclamation of victory. Whenever people picked up palms in that day, would swing them back and forth, that symbolized victory. And thirdly, the palms, waving them or laying them before him was an act of worship, an act of worship. And so in a few minutes, you're going to be invited to do the same thing right here in this church. You're invited to lay your palms before Jesus. Now, Jesus actually isn't going to be here. I couldn't get him. I tried. But anyway, uh, but we have an actor playing Jesus. But I don't want you to get lost in the fact, oh, that's Andy. I want you to think about what if Jesus were really here? What would I do with this poem? Would I do what they did on that first Palm Sunday and lay it before Him? Acknowledging Him as my King? Acclaiming His victory over sin and death? Would I engage in a physical act of worship? You know, we Baptists don't get real physical in worship, do we? In early service, we sang Victory in Jesus just like we did here and Gary was trying to get people to clap, and they wouldn't do it. I don't want to hurt his feelings. I said, oh, it's too early. It's just too early. We don't get real physical as Baptists. But I'm inviting you to get physical today and work your way to the end of the aisles. He'll be in all these aisles and lay your palms before Him. Not just reenacting Palm Sunday, but acknowledging Him as your King. Acclaiming His victory over sin and death and as an act of worship. I want to point out one other thing very sad about this story. The same crowd that was shouting King of Israel on Palm Sunday was shouting crucify Him by Friday. Same people. Same people that were saying Oh, He's King. Not even a week later same people to the same man are shouting crucify Him. Jesus didn't desert them. They deserted Him. You know, our commitments to Christ are often short-lived. We'll leave church, we'll be all excited about our faith in Christ, or we'll go to a conference and we'll come back, and we're all excited, all fired up about our faith in Christ, and then a week later, maybe a month later, all of a sudden it wanes. We're not excited anymore. Our commitments to Christ are often short-lived, just like these folks on that first Palm Sunday. But I want to encourage you, I want to implore you, may we remain faithful to Christ even as He is always faithful to us, may we remain faithful to Him. And so that first Palm Sunday, what did they mean? What did the prophet mean? Now we know. What did the people mean? Now we know. What did the palms mean? Now we know. What will you mean when you lay your palms down today? Well, you mean, well, the preacher said I was supposed to do this, so I'm just going to do it, and I've got this palm. I don't know what else to do with it, so I might as well throw it on the floor. Or will you lay that before the actor acknowledging Jesus as king, Amen. acclaiming he is victorious over sin and death, even yours, and acting out your worship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Before I conclude, though, the very most important thing that you can do today is receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Believing He died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. He's already King. You can't make Him King. He's already King, all right? And He's already Savior. You can't make Him Savior, but He can be your Savior, your personal Savior. But that's between you and Him, not between you and the church or you and the deacons or you and the preacher, you and Him. And so as Jesus comes in and starts walking these aisles, if you have never invited the real Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that is way more important than your palm. That is way more important than placing your palm. That's way more important than looking to see what kind of costume he's wearing. You already saw him anyway up here when he got his feet washed. I had to beg Kristen to wipe his feet with her hair. I had to beg her. But anyway, that's beside the point. None of that is important. What's important is do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Amen. Have you believed that He died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day? That's what matters. Take care of that before you take care of anything else. But let's worship Jesus this morning, somewhat as they did 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the excitement of Palm Sunday and Holy Week and Easter. And We pray as we act out in a very small way, Palm Sunday. May we not do so lightly. May we acknowledge Jesus as the King He is. May we acknowledge Jesus as the Savior He is. He's victorious over sin and death. May we worship Him. And if there are any who need Christ as Savior, give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now. And we thank you.